transportation matters. The CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Hello and welcome. In each episode of this podcast series, Daimler Trucks and Buses CEO Martin Daum welcomes a special guest to talk about transportation matters and beyond. Today's topic is automated driving, one of the major disruptions in global transportation. And Martin's guest is one of the pioneers in this field, Michael Fleming. Over 15 years ago, Michael co-founded Torque Robotics, a provider of self-driving solutions. Torque paired up with Daimler for a unique partnership for automated trucking. In this episode, Martin and Michael cover many big and small aspects of automated vehicles and why it all matters. Welcome to Transportation Matters. Hi, Michael, and welcome to our show. Thanks for having me today. I'm super excited about joining the, uh, the Daimler uh, truck family. From the very first day I met you, I always wanted to ask you, what drove you initially, you know, somewhere in college times to the autonomous world? Why didn't you want to go to make better popcorn or uh, <laughs> improve the raising of cattle or something like that? Why going to the autonomous world? Well, um, I'm a, a little bit of a disruptor uh, slash super nerd. And I remember walking into uh, one of the labs at Virginia Tech and seeing this, um, this bay full of self-driving vehicles. These were just a couple hundred pound vehicles. And there were students working on these autonomous vehicles and going and competing with uh, other universities. And I just had to be part of uh, something that I thought was, you know, incredibly cool. And, you know, we started participating in the, the small autonomous vehicles. And then DARPA came out with a series of grand challenges. And these were larger vehicles that had to drive autonomously across the desert at uh, higher speeds. So once again, we thought that was super cool. And uh, we as students um, you know, participated in the first Grand Challenge, the second Grand Challenge, we did really well. The DARPA Urban Challenge took place in 2007. It was about building a fully autonomous vehicle that could travel 60 miles of urban and off-road environments in less than six hours. Torque Robotics competed in that challenge together with Virginia Tech students. They formed Team Victor Tango and developed a self-driving car that came in third place. I had an incredible group of uh, students that, that I worked with. I mean, these are bright, passionate folks, super nerds just like myself mm -hmm. that were passionate about self-driving vehicles. And at that point, self-driving really wasn't you know, coined. We were talking about autonomous robotics. It's interesting how the terminology has evolved. But the challenge with students, Martin, students have a tendency to graduate and leave. So, you know, the light bulb came on and it made sense to start a company and Torque was born. Um, our timing was pretty good um, because now we had the DARPA Urban Challenge uh, that was announced. So we hired a lot of the top talent from the DARPA Challenge teams. We brought them into Torque and we developed the software stack for Victor Tango. And we were fortunate to be one of three teams that uh, crossed the finish line. We were well ahead of our time, you know, though, mm -hmm. Martin. I mean, this was before self-driving was mainstreamed. Um, this was back in 2006 and 2007. And I think this was a very big moment in autonomous technology when you went from the off-road side uh, and the small vehicles and the low speed, you know, to the on-road. Because I think the big difference between off-road and autonomous could be pretty lonely, especially if you do that in a desert. Yeah, And who cares about a cactus? Yeah, But once you go on-road, there is a lot of things you care deeply about. 
And then you use bigger vehicles and you use higher speeds and combine all three together. That must be, wasn't that a scary moment or was that the another nerdy challenge? Well, you know, I would say that it's uh, it was both. So in the DARPA Grand Challenge 1 and 2, we were driving across the desert. In, in the Urban Challenge, it was urban driving, the city streets that, that you mentioned. Um, but what ended up happening in the Urban Challenge, all of the self-driving vehicles were on the track at the same time with other manned vehicles. So there were a lot of questions that came up. Um, what happens when we have all of these LIDAR sensors from vehicle A, B, and C, you know, all sort of passing one another? And so, you know, as pioneers, and we really didn't consider ourselves as pioneers a- at the time, um, but, you know, a lot of the folks in these DARPA challenges were pioneers of the, the, the self-driving, you know, revolution that, uh, that we're at today. Mm-hmm. So potentially... When we look a little bit more into the technology, because I realized you used a lot of terms which might be daily household terms to nerds, but uh, not necessarily everyone listening to our conversation is nerdy. So algorithms, lighters. So what are the decisive elements uh, in your day-to-day challenge in business since the, the 2000 years? Um, so, you know, at a, at, a, at a really high level, you know, th- this technology is very similar to what you and I do driving from home to work every day. Um, so we kind of divide it into three different bins. Uh, think of it as what you see, what you think, and how you act. So when you're driving to work or, or back home, um, you know, you're, you're scanning the area looking for uh, the lines in the road. And is the road going to the right or to the left? And, you know, is there a car or a pedestrian or something like that? Sort of perceiving the world. So we have a variety of different sensors that, that we use. Um, we have cameras, which are very, you know, sim- similar to one's eyes, if you will. But we also have active sensors as well. So some of the listeners may be familiar with radar technology. And they may not be familiar with LIDAR technology, but it's pretty similar to, to radar. It's sort of emitting light pulses. And we just have going to become nerdy again, generating these point clouds. But it's uh, um, it's sort of an active way of sensing as opposed to, to passive. Um, the, the next stage is really what we think. So, you know, after we've collected this information, think of you and I driving, and we know that there's a car to the left, and we know that the road is uh, bending right, well, we probably want to steer a little bit to the right. But we think about how much do we want to steer and do we want to accelerate or do we want to brake? And we're making all sorts of decisions. So, you know, our software stack does, you know, something very similar to that to, you know, arrive at our destination in a safe and efficient fashion. And then the third element is act. So, you know, we have uh, hands and uh, feet. So we're steering, uh, steering wheels, we're pressing pedals and so forth. And, um, um, you know, and that's one of the things that I like about this this marriage and joining the Daimler family is you know integrating our software stack into the uh, the Freightliner vehicle fleets. So, Martin, I'd be real interested in hearing you know from you, the CEO of Daimler Trucks, why Daimler is so interested in automated trucks. This is interesting because uh, for some of us, especially in the engineering divisions, it's an engineering puzzle. But for most of us, it's far more. I'm not so much interested in engineering puzzles. I'm interested how fu- the future of transportation looks like. We face significant challenges in the future. Freight transport, on-road transport will grow. On the one side, we have 
to solve that from the how we power those units, you know, go to more CO2-free uh, transportation. This is one challenge, and we tackle that. The other is how do we solve the, the topic of congestion, usage of infrastructure, accidents, and so on. And with increased traffic, we have to make freight transport more efficient. And automation is one big item to do that. And we talked about that earlier, uh, to reduce congestion, to reduce uh, accidents, uh, to increase the usage of the truck, by the way. Yeah, a truck is an extremely expensive piece of equipment. And it's only used about 10 hours a day out of 24. Yeah, this is not necessarily the pinnacle of efficiency. And if we can help the transportation industry to increase here the efficiency at the same time, reducing congestion and uh, accidents, that would be a great, great achievement for that industry. I still remember the very first day I walked into your headquarter office. You know, it was his saving life, you know, right below the sign talk, you know. So saving life is very important uh, on your side uh, of the company. Absolutely. The first things you see when you walk into the building, I mean, it is our mission and it is our purpose. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I like the saying that, um, you know, blood isn't the purpose of life, life but it's necessary to sustain it. And, and I take that into a parallel with, uh, with businesses. And, and, you know, we've uh, grown every year. We've been profitable every year. We really value, you know, business cases. Um, and, and obviously, you know, revenue and profitability is important to sustain a business. So we value the business case. Um, but, you know, in order to sustain your, your, your mission and your purpose, mm. um, uh, you need to be a, a, around in the, in the long term, which is one of the things that I am just super excited about is how strong the truck business case is for automated trucks. I would like to, to focus on the safety part sure, absolutely. Uh, a little bit more because that was on the Daimler side, the same thing. You know, safety for us is very important to reduce that the accidents is, is since decades, you know, in the Daimler's mind. You know, airbags, ABS, you know, make uh, cars help the driver to be a better driver. Uh, what we call these days level two assistance systems, you know, with that detect the speed, of, of cars ahead of you that slow down the vehicle, that keep you in the lane, that even supports braking, even brakes when harder and faster than you ever can brake as a human being. But it's all assistance systems. You know, it still depends a lot what we call always the human factor. And we all know that humans can err. But we see a huge improvement in safety if we can move from that level two, what we call today the perfect assistance systems, to the level four, what you were thriving from the get-go, you know, uh, on the autonomous side. There are five different levels of driving automation. Already today, level two vehicles drive partially automated and offer assistance systems to the driver. For example, regarding steering or acceleration, but the driver is always in control. At level four, high automation, the system performs the entire dynamic driving task, but only in suitable scenarios. It disengages if a driver takes over. A vehicle with level five would be able to drive with full automation. Do you see or can, could, can you already prove that increase in safety on the level four side? I mean, because theoretically for me, it's, it's obvious that we are able to decrease uh, the number of accidents because 
uh, autonomous vehicle sticks to the speed limit. You know, there is no overspeeding. The car just don't th even think about going a mile faster than it's allowed to go. It never texts and uses the cell phone, you know. It's always be alert, you know. So it's, it's doing a lot of things not what sometimes, unfortunately, human drivers are doing and then causing accidents. Yeah, so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in our, our self-driving vehicles and we talked a little bit about the... Um um, human error um, yeah, that contributes to um, these, these staggering numbers, you know, 40,000 fatalities in the U.S. and, um, you know, 1.4 million fatalities in the world. Um, when we integrate our autonomous driving technology on our vehicles, predictability is there, consistency is there. When we program our vehicles to obey the speed limits, they follow the speed limits and they do not exceed the speed limits. And it's something that you can, well, quite frankly, trust because we don't have that human you know, factor. It's really interesting because we start running into these cases where what if there are several other human drivers on the road? And let's say the speed limit is 55 miles an hour and everyone else is going 60. Is it better for us to drive 60 miles an hour and not 55 miles an hour? And so now there's this balance between what we should do and what everyone mm -hmm. else is doing. But if you find yourself in a group of, let's say, folks who are going 80 miles an hour, okay, that, that's a, a bit too fast. So we'll cap ourselves at, let's say, 60 or 62. Mm. Well, interesting. And I think those are, will be the questions we, we have to face and tackle uh, when we really go live with a, with, a, with a large number of automated Vehicles And I could see on the other side more the argument that we really stick if it's 50, we go with 50. Yeah, because there is a reason why someone put the 50 out. Now we move to the trucking side, you know. <laughs> and, and I know that you, from the very first day, you worked in passenger cars, you know. And then suddenly someone from the trucking world comes around. What were your first feelings? You know, excitement. And I remember meeting your team for the first time. And um, it was amazing. While we were very different size organizations, and you all have been around a little bit longer than us, happened to invent uh, the truck and the automobile, how similar our cultures were. We were both committed to the long term, you know, not the short term. Um, for us, being a self-driving company, being around for, I guess, 13 years, um, we were not uh, sort of a startup, so we, we were committed to the long term. So as, as we started asking more questions, the answers that Daimler provided us were the exact answers that we had internally. And I think the same thing happened on the other side mm. of the table. You know, cultural fit is the most important thing, in my opinion, you know, as we begin integrating our organizations. And what I realized is that we can use a lot of our, your past experience. Uh, and then going on the highway potentially cuts out a lot of the challenges we have when we are on city streets. Oh, absolutely. And Martin, I think you, you hit it head on. Um, the operating environment on highways and interstates are much simpler than what we see in urban city, you know, driving. Uh, the, the city driving is, uh, you know, much more complex. I mean, we've um, uh, uh, tested in 20 different states. And one of the things that we find is, uh, while the environments are much more, we call it cluttered, um, as you mentioned, there's more pedestrians, there's different types of intersections. One of the big differences that we found was the social driving behaviors in one city will be very different than another city. Oh, cool. Which, which would be an easy city in which would be a difficult city. 
Are, are you free to, to name a city? <laughs> we, we talk city. We don't talk individual sure. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, one of the more challenging cities is actually Las Vegas. And, okay. and we spent a tremendous amount of time, you know, testing in Las Vegas. And, and one of the reasons that it's so challenging is there's a large tourist base there. Mm -hmm. So you have different drivers from different regions all converging together in one location, as opposed to just saying there is one Las Vegas, you know, driving style. When I talk about automated vehicles with customers, with, with people I know in my private life as well as in the professional life, I feel I get mixed responses. You know, I have a lot of people who are really excited about this. They see the challenge. They see the engineering nerdy puzzle to be solved. They see some see possibilities far beyond what I can see. And then I have a lot of people who show a lot of anxiety. Yeah, this is something out of our control. Yeah, even the word robots, you know, take over the world sometimes show up. What can we do to reduce the anxiety or to, uh, to help to see the advantages? Um, I, I think this is normal and, and common for any disruptive technology to create fear, anxiety, excitement, um, and, and a broad range of, uh, of emotions. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks have probably watched one too many science fiction uh, uh, movies. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's important that we educate society through podcasts such as this one on sort of the capabilities and, and limitations of, of the technology to, you know, balance any maybe misunderstandings that there are out there. Um, first and foremost, and this is where we see that cultural fit, uh, it's important that this technology is deplo deployed in a safe fashion. And mm. we've always viewed this as a marathon, you know, not a sprint. And, um, you know, as, as we evolve the technology and get to um, a, a point where the technology is safe, then we deploy um, as opposed to sort of deploying, you know, prematurely. So I guess there are two fronts. Um, let's uh, be methodical. Let's keep safety first. And the, the second aspect is, you know, continuing to have a dialogue like this where I can pass on some surdy, super nerdy terms like LIDAR to, you know, some of the listeners mm -hmm. out there. Uh, the other thing is, you know, we spend a lot of time bringing the public into our self-driving cars. And it's interesting to see the reaction that the general public has. You know, at first, they're nervous. Mm -hmm. They're in a self-driving car. And um, they're really not sure what's going to happen. But after about 20 minutes, they become bored. And they actually forget that they're in a self-driving car and we have conversations and they're checking email. And uh, so, so it's interesting how quick that adoption curve is. Getting first in the car, I didn't get bored in a sense that I start texting and, and using uh, my iPhone. I was more like, that car could do a little bit more. Why don't we drive a little bit faster? Why, why don't we take this small windy road instead of the wide road, you know, to all the crazy stuff to accelerate the experience. And, and certainly your guys were very careful, you know, we do the safe route, you know, the safe route is not the, the adventurous route, you know, the safe route is rather five miles less than 10 miles more. Yeah, so I, I really appreciated that. Well, you know, Martin, the one emotion that I'm most concerned about is curiosity, because what we see is there are some curious drivers out there 
that see that this is a self-driving car, and they say, hmm, I wonder what this self-driving car would do if I swerved into their lane or cut them off. Um, we, we experience quite a bit of that. So uh, if there are some um, listeners out there and you see self-driving cars, you know, please try to restrain your, your curiosity um, because um, we've got you on video. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, when I observe you, there's one thing about it what I really like, that's passion. So why, why do you have that passion? What drives you? Let me answer it in a couple of different ways. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer that um, we all have one life, one opportunity, and we, we have to maximize that. And one way to maximize that is to take on lots of risk and make some very bold moves, but also being committed to the, the long term. I was fortunate to find my passion at an early age in, in school, uh, but it wasn't just me. It was actually a, a team of us as students We have you know, one core value at Torque, which is winning teams that derives from the student competitions in, in the early days. And, and most of the folks who were with me as students are, are still you know, with Torque you know, today. And it's that, that long-term you know, commitment. So I guess in a concise way, it's uh, maximizing life, finding your passion, and then surrounding yourself with as many other folks who share that common passion. And then make an impact in the world, which is lasting uh, and really changes things. We always want to shape the future of transportation. We want to serve our customers. And for me, hauling freight is so important for the world because that is how people exchange their goods and their inventions and their ideas. And, and that is what keeps our economies going. And, and to shape that transportation and with this shaping our economies and this in the best most efficient safest way that is what drives me and what makes me passionate and when i see the potential that automation has to our industry i really get excited about it and i could really ramble along for long long hours about that and i'm really looking forward potentially to another podcast when we can inform the public about more steps ahead and more visions we have when we know when we better know how the technology shapes out absolutely and you know from my perspective for the listeners you know, on this podcast as they go you know home tonight you know more than likely the the toothbrush and toothpaste or diaper that they um, you know put on their their infant or their child was was more than likely shipped by a truck it was and Definitely shipped by a truck. And so think about that impact that um, you know, we can have within automation. I mean, it's almost touching just about every good within the U.S. through automated technology. Potentially, when we talk about automation and trucking, we should start with a 101 automation on trucks for dummies. And now listeners are certainly not dummies, but really make it plain simple. Yeah, for me, when I look at the trucking side, we have an engine and a chassis and a steering wheel and brakes, and they have to connect somewhere with each other. Yeah, if I brake too hard, it costs too much energy and fuel consumption goes up. If the steering is not precise, the truck does not sta stand in his lane and the truck going out of lane is always a dangerous thing. Yeah, so for us, steering, braking, accelerating are core competencies. 
what's really key is how we go about integrating that software, those sensors, onto Freightliner and uh, Daimler trucks. And there's not a there's not just one connection. There are countless connections between the two. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is Daimler controls the entire, I'll call it the hardware stack, within the truck. And as we make software improvements, I think those improvements will drive requirements on the truck side. As Daimler makes truck improvements, those will drive requirements on the software side. So we have this harmony in this iterative cycle between software and hardware through the entire automated truck IP portfolio. And and that's important for two reasons. One, it allows us to optimize uh, automated trucks in a safe, reliable, robust, and efficient fashion for your customers. Mm -hmm. And I think this is potentially the challenge because uh, the, the the reliable portion, for example, this fast in trucking is absolutely important. You know, we talk a million miles, we talk five, ten years out in the road in every any weather conditions. And when I sometimes get challenged by my friends in the software industry, why it takes us so long to come out with a new product, I always tell them, put your iPad in front of the of your car and drive through several weeks of rain and snow and then look how well you can use it. You know, we don't have that excuse. Our trucks needs to be used after that. You know, I can't just go to a store and exchanges with a new piece of hardware. And I think to get those two worlds together, the reliability of the mechanical world and the flexibility and speed of the software world and really mesh that in harmony, use the term harmony together. This takes effort and time, and like any harmony in any relationship, it's not a natural fit. It's always a result of hard work and a lot of understanding of the other side and adjusting to the other side. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that harmony is also going to create ripples within you know other areas uh, such as maintenance. So, so imagine an automated truck, um, you know, not sipping coffee or driving different ways, but being very consistent. And as we're more consistent, we become more predictive, uh, such that you're not waiting for um, a need to, uh, to to service a truck on the side of the road. You know well in advance when to schedule that maintenance because we're collecting a tremendous amount of data on how that truck you know mm-hmm. drove today, mm-hmm. yesterday, last week, and last month. And that gives me already new ideas, you know, how <laughs> we can shape future transportation when it comes to that. So really great. So, Martin Daum got new ideas from the discussion with Michael Fleming, and we hope you got some inspiration out of our talk as well. Let's do a quick recap on the key messages of their dialogue. First, automated trucks need to be able to do three things. See, think, and react. Second, mastering automated driving is quite challenging, and it will be much more of a marathon than a sprint. And third, Daimler Trucks and Buses and Torque will take many small steps towards automated driving, and they will do them in a safe and reliable way. They want to build trust in this technology because they believe it can do a great deal for transport and for the world. That's it for today. Thanks for your time. 
This was Transportation Matters, our Daimler Trucks and Buses podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, hit like and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. The next episode is available on Wednesday, the 2nd of October, and is going to be in German, featuring former German Minister of Foreign Affairs, Joschka Fischer. Our next English episode will be available on November the 6th, featuring Brad White. Meanwhile, you might want to check out another Daimler podcast. It's called Headlights. Daimler employees around the world share their unique story of what it's like to work at a global company like Daimler. Daimler.